Hello, Regeneration. Second week into Ephesians chapter 3. Going to take a look at three verses today. Um, when looking at the past couple of decades as being a pastor, things have changed uh, in regards to how people view clergy, pastors, ministers, how, how we're perceived. You know, 20 years ago, it, it felt a lot different. I, I'd tell somebody I'm a pastor and there was a certain amount of reverence and it's not so much today. Um, it really depends on the situation though because when I do funerals, absolutely. Or when I do hospital visits, it's, it's mostly uh, weddings is a mixed bag, but mostly yes. And in other situations, mixed and sometimes there's just none at all. You know, something that hasn't changed in terms of perception is wondering what ministers do um, I've had people ask if I just work on Sundays. Um, that's people inside the church as well as outside of the church that wonder this. And in our verse today, I bring up this minister role because this is what Paul wrote about in being made a minister. So look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Whenever I've had to fill out paperwork about my occupation, um, oftentimes there's not an option for minister. That's usually not there. And it's fine if I can write it in myself or type it in myself, but sometimes it's just a box to check off and then there's no like other box or whatever. And the, there'll be all sorts of options that fit my job description. So for example, um, if it says something about food, am I, am I part of that? Because we do have a cafe and we do feed the homeless and then there's a box for construction and yeah I've done a lot of that over the years there's virtually every inch of this church I've, I've worked on um, there's a arts and audiovisual communications box and yes I've done that and business admin business management yep I do that and education and training yes I do that and finance yes I do that health sciences I've done hospital chaplaincy stuff and I've done medical outreaches and relief work and mission and hospitality, yes, we do that. Human services, we do that. IT, I do that. Customer service, I do that. Transportation, I do that. So yeah, I just work one day a week. When Paul speaks about being made a minister, he's talking about being a minister of the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. That the powerful gospel of Christ has made reconciliation with God possible to all who believe in Christ. Now let's go back up one verse that we looked at last week in verse 6 and it reads this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Last week we looked at this mystery which Paul and others in Christ are privileged to fully understand. And now he writes of a ministry which is something to be done. Minister essentially means servant. That's what it means. And Paul is a servant of the gospel. He preaches and proclaims the gospel. Now what is the gospel? Well, it's not something that we do. 
The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the message of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this divine act of love was done to save everyone who would believe in Christ Jesus. Christ reconciled the world through himself, and this reconciliation is what is offered to us through Jesus Christ as a gift from God. And Paul was a servant, a minister of this good news. And you notice that Paul was made a minister in verse 7, that he didn't make himself a minister. He was made a minister by calling. Take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul was made a minister, and there's a recurring word in this first section of Ephesians 3, and it's this word, given. And take a look at verses 2, 7, and 8, where this word is mentioned. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And then verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And what was Paul given? Grace. He didn't earn it. He didn't take it for himself. It was given to him. God's grace. Paul is a servant of Christ and a steward of God's grace. He is to minister God's grace. Serve it. And if God didn't enter Paul's life, he'd be the same hostile person who was imprisoning people who were in Christ, persecuting them, beating them, approving of their deaths. He, he was a man of chaos, even though he was a religious person. Definitely not a man of peace. And so sometimes we can be like this, that even though we are so-called religious people, but are we people of peace? Are we people who are hostile towards others? But then enter God's grace. God's grace, which was given to him by the working of God's power. And we read of God's power earlier in this letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power from the grace given to Paul. That is given to us. What brings us out of our hostility, out of our enmity, blasphemy, irritation, disgust, is the power of God's grace given to us. Paul received this mystery through revelation. Something about being a minister. There's a pattern to this gospel ministry in that it's not ever self-appointed. To be a minister is not something someone chooses for themselves on their own. It is a calling 
from God. And when you are called by God, you have no choice but to do it. It's something one has to do, and it's affirmed. It's also confirmed by other people, that there's a fruitfulness to it. And it's something that you are set apart to do, that you are holy, not common. And this sometimes misdirects people, that they get a sense of pride from this, that they get puffed up from it, but it's actually very humbling. Take a look at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of the saints. Paul is humbled that God saved him even though he did so much wrong. He's humbled that God would even call him after the type of life he lived, causing chaos in people's lives, persecuting people, saying bad things about other people and doing bad things to other people. And he recognizes that God had given him so much. God gave him grace. He gave him unmerited favor, things he did not deserve. He gifted him with so many gifts. He's provided for him. Now take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see this mercy that Paul received and how it changed him, how humble he became? Have you received mercy? Have you received the grace of God? Are you saved from your sins just as Paul was? And are, are you living a life full of grace, mercy, salvation? Are you at peace? with your brothers and sisters in Christ, or is there some wall of hostility in the way? Through us, Jesus Christ displays his perfect patience, which we all need. In order to work through all of our differences, there needs to be a lot of patience. And, and so how are we displaying Jesus Christ? Are we just taking off? Are we just giving up? Are we just not dealing with things anymore? Are we going to work this out as a family of faith? Because there's a lot of work to do. Because none of us is as good as we think that we are. We are not as good of a display as we think we are. It's not about us anyway. We are to display Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's as John the Baptist says in John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. 
So whose agenda are we about? Has the grace of God been given to you? Is Jesus increasing while you decrease? One of the most unattractive qualities a person can have is arrogance. When we're arrogant, we lose sight of the grace, of the mercy, of the forgiveness that we have been given. And you and I aren't any good without Jesus. We are not righteous without Jesus. Humility, it goes a really long way in getting along with people who are at enmity with you. And who was Paul at enmity with before? Gentiles, yes. Jewish Christians, yes. And he's a Pharisee with a long kind of standing of how he was groomed to be against these people. And the only way he could share Christ with them is to understand the grace God gifted him and to live out the humility it's what we are to do with people that we're at odds with. And it's so incredible that God would choose someone like Paul to minister to Gentiles and to people who are in Christ. That This is so God. I mean, do you realize Paul's background and who he used to be? This is how powerful God is. That God empowers us to love people who are so difficult to love. To make peace with people that we just don't see eye to eye with. That Christ unites people in himself, in Christ. And you'd figure that God would choose someone who had a heart for Gentiles, who had an affinity for Gentiles. No, he doesn't. He chose a guy who hated them. But this is so God. This is God's power showing through. This is God's grace showing through. It just proves that God is the one who's at work. Who can bring Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians together? Only God. Only God. Who does God use to bring the gospel to the Gentile? God is so funny. He uses a Pharisee of Pharisees. He uses Paul. And only God can do that. He's showing. God is showing off. You know what I'm going to use... Who I'm going, to, I'm going to use Paul, the guy who persecuted Christians, imprisoned Christians, who, who beat them up, who called them all sorts of names, who, who, was, who was ungodly towards them. I'm going to use him. And it has us wondering, who is God going to empower to be a peacemaker within our community, to break down the walls of hostility? And we shouldn't be surprised that it would be the most unlikely person that we could ever, ever imagine because God is going to show who he is. So powerful, so gracious, so full of mercy. See, you and I, in our own strength, we, we just make things worse. We make things worse in how we try to resolve things outside of him. But if we submit to God and humble ourselves and, and walk through his ways. God will use us just as God used Paul. Just as God himself does things. Think about how God came down to us. He, he didn't come down wealthy 
with a huge entourage and, and didn't come from the greatest learning institutions and come from the strongest pedigree. He, he comes to us poor and plopped down in this little known town to these young parents who don't have a very good reputation. And then shepherds announce his arrival. It's not like trumpets blaring with this, with this huge military to announce his arrival. And it's shepherds, people who are considered unclean and who are considered uh, not credible witnesses in court. And this is how God works. This is God. That when Jesus rose from the grave, the first person he lets know this wonderful news is Mary, a woman. That he gives dignity to women when back in the society they did not do that. This is God. And so how do we see others? Do we see the hopefulness of those who are oppressed? Do we see them with humble eyes? See, our, our Lord came to us lowly to save sinners, to gift us grace, showing us that we need Christ. Continuing on in verse 8 there, it reads, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Is Christ being proclaimed in our life, in our actions, in our words? Is Christ being magnified or is it just something else that's being magnified? Is the sufficiency, the, the fullness of Jesus enough or are you adding something else? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among the, you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And now skip down to verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 2. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The only way people will become servants of Jesus Christ is when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of people to show them who he is, and their need for Christ. It won't be from their own wisdom. It, it, it's the power of God that changes people. It's the gospel, the good news that changes people. And so what message are we preaching? Is it the gospel or is it something else? Now people have all sorts of ideas on what should be shared from the church. And it seems to me that people are wanting more political speech to come from the church, regardless of which side you're on. I'm not blaming one side or the other. It's just all sides want their news to be presented. And I'm constantly pressured to preach things that I don't feel are reflective of Christ. You see, my mandate as a pastor is to preach Christ. I don't know how everything works around me. And quite frankly, you don't know either. And so why would people want to hear what I have to say about political things? That's not what I'm called to. That's not my job. I'm not here to talk about ethics either because everyone believes that they're right and they believe the other person is wrong or the other side is wrong and people can debate that all day long and they're not going to change each other's minds. But the minister's role is to preach Christ. Always Christ. To preach Christ's unsearchable riches. Part of the challenge of being a pastor who preaches is that you always have to give people what they need. 
and it's not always what they want. And from me, from this pulpit, I hope this is what you get. Many of us have been blessed by these unsearchable riches, adopted into the family of God. We've been forgiven of our sins by the blood of Christ. We, we've been given God's grace. We've been given so much, and all of it is ours. There are so many people that don't know this. We are to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the other things we're about kind of flow out of this focused, central gospel. I am not saying that politics don't matter because they do. But Christ needs to be the center regardless of all those political opinions. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. How much do we really trust in the Lord's generous gift of grace to us? He gives us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. So much given to those who believe in Christ. So I encourage you to truly believe, to truly trust in Him. That you don't have to work so hard to do other things, but to draw closer to Christ. He gave us, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 8, and he gave us this grace. Verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To make things clear that are difficult to understand. And many times people wonder what, what God's plan is. And we can go back to Ephesians 1 for, for this answer. We are blessed in Christ, verse 3, Ephesians 1. God chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him, verse 4. God predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will, verse 5. God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, verse 9. And then as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, verse 10. Now, if you need more clarity on those verses, you can go back to those sermons and listen to them once again. But this is the good news that we share. This is what we evangelize. This is what we do. We, we bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. And it's very, very challenging to do this. As we put forth the effort to do this work, we, we need to rely on God to open eyes, to, to soften hearts. And the power of Christ to unite us with him is the same power that unites us. In our differences, in our walls of hostility, 
that God uses his people, God uses his church to accomplish this. And here's a scary thing. There is no plan B. God's plan and only plan is to use the church. Now, for some of you, you're super worried about this because you're looking at the church and you're like, really, the church? We're horrible. We, we are horrible at this. We don't do a good job at this. But the, the truth of the matter is, it is the church. There is no plan B. Show me. But it's so fitting back to 1 Corinthians, isn't it? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I would venture to say that the church looks pretty foolish right now. That we look pretty foolish. And this is just the way that God works. Why? So we don't boast. What can we boast about? That he's going to prove that it was all him. Not us. And this was God's eternal plan. This is God's plan from the start. It's mysterious. But all you have to do is look at the world. Look at the world history and even to today that good or bad parts of history we have both as the church. But it is through the church that the good news has spread. Isn't it? And we are still broken people and we have still made so many mistakes and we will continue to make mistakes, but it's only by God's grace that the church even exists today. We've made such a mess of ourselves that it's only by God's grace that we even exist today. God works miracles and and we're evidence of this miracle that God is going to use the church and create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Ephesians 2 verse 15. God's ultimate plan for the world is going to be delivered by the church. And that's why the church is so important. And it's really sad when people within the church are fighting and when we divide. Satan has been trying so hard over the many, many years and generations to divide the church because we're God's only plan. It should be no surprise to us at all that we're the ones attacked We've already been shown what God is going to do through the church, and yet there's so much division, and we continue to divide. When the church is to be the place where people can see God at work, and they do. Despite all the efforts for us to mess things up ourselves, or what the dark forces, the serpent are trying to do, to be able to bring a diverse group of people around the love of Jesus Christ to reconcile with one another, to show the world how people who are once at enmity with each other live in peace and with each other. The church has always been under attack. It's not going to be any different for us today. It's not going to be any different for us in the future. The good news of Jesus is always under attack. And those who don't have the Bible as their foundation, they end up disappearing. They're no longer around. There's many churches like this. I don't have to tell you this. There's evidence of this all over the place. And you know a ton of people like this. 
The serpent just loves to see all the chaos and all the brokenness happening all over him. But God is in control. God is in control. And his plan will ultimately come to pass even though things don't look good. Verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Mystery. It's a mystery until God reveals it. And he did reveal it through his apostles, through revelation, who provide this to us in the scriptures which we have now. And the Bible reveals to us God's plan. The Bible is necessary to see what is happening around us in history, in today, uh, in the future. We, we need to use that lens of the Bible as the Bible revealed to us that the Messiah came into this broken and dark world. He brought light into the world and he gave people who believe in him salvation. That the words of prophets are being fulfilled and, and people who once walked in darkness can see the light. This, this dark world is where the plan of redemption, it pierces the darkness with its light. History is full of dark times. Full of it. And of course there's history that has optimism and hope in there too, but where are we today? I would say it's pretty dark. It's a dark day. It's a dark future, it seems like. It's, it's tough to be optimistic right now. We just came out of a really tough year in 2020, and then we, looking ahead in 2021, it just doesn't seem to have a light at the end of the tunnel. We have no idea when we can gather as a church again, when people can kind of go out again, when people can travel, when, when people can just do stuff. Fascinating thing is we've had so much social reform in our history. We have a better education system today than we've ever had in the history of the world. We have better medicine today, better technology. We have improved in so many ways. But look at our world. It's dark. And people are clueless. The leaders of the world, the politicians, are clueless without the wisdom of God. People who are stuck in their own wisdom cannot know God. And without God, people can't know themselves to figure out what's wrong. And the role of the church is to shine light into this dark world, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. There is no other ultimate cause for us to champion. This is the church's ultimate role, and any other cause we raise is not the ultimate problem. The, the Bible tells us the problem, and it also tells us how the problem is solved. It's through Jesus Christ. And the church is to be the light in the darkness, in Jesus. There's hope that stands the test of time, that God has a plan. God who created all things. Telling us, God's in charge. He created all of this. We're, we're in, in God's creation. He created all things. And if we don't start with God as the creator, 
then it's hard to believe anything else the Bible has to say. But, but Paul, including that, that who created all things, is telling us God is in control. When God made the world, it was all good. It was perfect until sin entered into it, and then it ruined it. We ruined it. We brought in injustice, shame, inequality, destruction, hostility. We did that. We rebelled. And the remedy is Jesus, only Jesus. And by his grace, he is redeeming our mistakes. Jesus is the answer. And the answer is in the gospel. The gospel is not what we do. It's what God has done in Christ. That our sins have been put on Christ so that we are looked upon as righteous by God, adopted into his family, and we're constantly, frantically, trying to make sense of things in this world. While God has been patiently, gently carrying out his plan. And we're all just flustered and trying to figure things out. But he has been putting together Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, as his eternal plan. We ended on this, these verses last week, and let me read them to us again. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this is what God has been working on, that this is going to come to fruition. There will be a time when the King returns. Jesus will return. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That this already happened at the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And then repent and believe in God, which is to continually happen past, present, future. And this happens when we, the church, proclaim the gospel. And what will happen at the return of Christ, when Jesus Christ returns, all the things people thought that they got away with are going to be dealt with. Everything is going to be made right with a new heaven and a new earth with those who are in Christ. That there will finally be righteousness. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. There will not be peace on earth without Christ. We've tried. We've tried since our existence. And we should try. And continue to try. But I think we can all confess that we're nowhere close to being successful. And the Bible tells us when all this happens. At Christ's return. And all we have to do is read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. And the whole story is in there for us. This mystery 
that in eternity's plan, God adopted you. That today, he has you listening to this message, being a part of regeneration, to shine as a light to a dark world that does not have hope, that does not have peace, that they can find hope and peace through you, through the church as a community of believers, through Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have lots of faults. And God, I ask for forgiveness for myself, for the church, as we've made lots of mistakes, Lord, misrepresented you in many ways, so incapable of things, even though you give us so much in terms of resources, gifts, and the word of God, and yet we still fumble and struggle through things. Thank you for your grace, this gift of grace. Thank you for your love and patience, mercy, despite all of our shortcomings. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal individuals within our church, that you would heal our church community as a whole, that you would heal our country. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take your communion elements out and we'll start with the body of Christ. And as this is representative of Christ's body broken for us, I do want to encourage you to please take time and consider where you are with God. That if there is a harboring of bitterness or resentment or something that is separating your relationship with Christ, that is separating you from the fellowship with a fellow brother or sister, that you would refrain from taking this for now until that is dealt with. Because this incredible, strong symbolism of what Christ did for us is not to be taken lightly as he reconciled us fully to himself so that we can reconcile also with one another. Let's take this in Jesus' name. I invite you to take the fruit of the vine at this moment, symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. So precious and so costly part of God's divine eternal plan for us his children. Let's take this in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us and also in expectation of the promise that he made that he's returning for us. Lord Jesus, so thankful that you are God, that you are in control. I pray, Lord, that we would be sensitive to your Spirit's guiding. That we would be obedient in it, in Jesus' name. Amen.